This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, simple passive cash flow listeners. Today we have Mary McDonald here, who is an author of a great book that you can find on Amazon called Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. So the reason why we are bringing Mary on today is because we like to do one of these touchy-feely podcasts, maybe at least every couple of months, because a lot of the listeners who are listening are financially free or definitely on the path to get there. Me, certainly, I'm not to where I want to be, but I know I'm on that flight path or that trajectory to get there. So I really try and make a conscious point to smell the roses along the journey. And you hear it all the time, even though you half-heartedly think it's stupid, everybody says it's all about the journey. Easier said than when you get there, of course. But today, you're kind of rushing around trying to put on your, your own oxygen mask, trying to get your rentals or build your portfolio streams of income, maybe take a break and really embody what we're going to talk about today. But um. Yes, Mary, you want to give some quick background on yourself? You used to be a property, uh, just like the rest of us, rental property owners. Yeah, I started out, just uh, went to school and had was an English major and then got married, had a couple of kids, got divorced, and then needed a job. So I was lucky I had done some bookkeeping for a bank. So I went to work for a property management company. They had about 100 units. And so I was thrown in the middle of that. There was two young men that had uh, started off as sheet metal workers, and they started buying properties, rental properties, one at a time. And now after just a few years, they quit their sheet metal working and had all these properties all over town. So a lot of them were run down. They bought them at a discount, but they didn't really bother fixing them. So it was a bit of a challenge for the type of tenants they drew. And it became my mission to get in there and organize everything to bring the units up to a more habitable condition. And then we drew better tenant that could afford to pay. Anyway, it was about a seven or eight project. And I loved it. I loved working with people. And then at one point they said, gee whiz, why don't we start a property management company of our own? Kathy, my name is Mary Kathleen. I go by Kathy. You go and get your real estate broker's license and we'll do this. Well, we had a falling out over percentages, of course, when it came to it. So I started my own company. I left them and started my own company. It was the second one in town. Uh, So I had another lady ahead of me that I could see how she was doing it. But I loved it and it grew. I, I hired my sister. I hired my daughter. We had a really good reputation. I was known as the landlady and I had, oh gosh, I had probably 35 units that I managed full-time, and then I did hundreds of leasings. We lived in a a university town, so there was lots of tenants that came in that were students. But I I love this, and I I had a fiancé that I was crazy about, and life was good. And then things started coming apart. My fiancé got transferred to the East Coast. I didn't want to leave my family and my business, and so we decided to split up. Soon after that, he discovers he's got leukemia. He's got to go get treatments in Seattle. They're going to try and save him at a research hospital. He was only 53 years old. We've been together for eight years and he needed a caregiver. And I said, sure. 
So I dropped everything and it was only supposed to be a couple of months, get the treatments and then we'll see how it goes. Everybody was feeling good about it. We got up there and he would roller coaster up. He would then hit the bottom then he'd be up. And this other woman and I ran ourselves ragged for seven months, taking turns sleeping and driving and taking him to the hospital. At the end of the seven months, he passed away. And I was a wreck. And physically, emotionally, mentally, I didn't know whether to go back to Santa Cruz to stay in Seattle. But I got the flu. And in my run down condition, it went to pneumonia and then to ARDS, which is very much like COVID. It's a lung failure. My friend took me to the hospital. Thank God. I, my heart stopped in the ambulance. They got me started again. And next thing I knew, they were saying, Kathy, you're going to sleep. You're going to sleep. You're going to be fine. I was in an oxygen tent. Everybody was panicked. And they intubated me and put me in a coma for about three weeks and really didn't expect me to live. Supposedly, I'm laying there asleep, but I wasn't. I slipped over to the other side. And the first thing I realized when I got back is that I never really knew I was dead. You don't feel dead. You're just still, you, you don't really have a mirror to reflect and say, whoops, I don't have a body. You're just you. Opening my eyes in that situation was not good. I could tell something was wrong. There was this acrid smoke and a, a reddish glow. And then this horrible voice came at me with, do you know where you are? And I said, hell. And it just laughed, this boisterous Bella Lugosi laugh. I took off running because I, I was to do. I was terrified. It was a long process in that place. I went from being in this horrible, bombed out city with these creatures creeping around to different sections of hell. At the time, again, I did not have the luxury to be logical and sit down and say, wow, I wonder what's going on. At all times, I was literally, what I thought, running for my life. I was given tasks by these demons that were really just cat and mouse games. They were playing with me. The tasks were impossible or they were disgusting or just terrible. Take my word for it, that I refused to do that. Every time I refused to do something, I was thrown into a, a worse situation. They kept saying that I should despair. I should just give up. I was never getting out. But there was just something deep inside of me that thought, no, I'm a fighter, man. I'm a survivor and I will get out of here. At the very last section, I didn't know it was going to be my last section, and I never quite lost my last sense of humor. I, I did something, and it's all explained in the book, but it had to do with singing a Christmas carol in hell, and that's not done. So with that Christmas carol coming to the words of Jesus, boom, I found myself in this huge white light space and I was filled with joy and love. And, and it sounds so trite. You hear people talk about this all the time. But when it's you, it's a totally different party. And I knew, again, I did not know I was dead. I, I just knew that I'd forgotten everything that had happened before. I had no recollection of hell, no recollection of, of my family on earth, my job, nothing. I was just in this totally wonderful place that I didn't ever want to leave and when I looked up and looked around, I saw my friend, the one who had died. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, I was so thrilled to see him because he looked great. The last time I'd seen him, poor thing, he was bald. He was all purple with all the bruising and wasted away. And now he looked fabulous. And I, I started to say something and I thought, that's when the recollection hit. I thought, oh my God, he doesn't know he's dead. And he started to laugh. And I thought, wait a minute, if he's dead, maybe I'm dead. And the thought of it sunk in, oh, you know, bingo, you're totally happy. You're in this wonderful place and you're with your friend. I was ecstatic. I thought, oh my God, I made it to heaven. This is going to be great. But then where are all the angels like in the garden and stuff? What's going on? So he had been showing me something in this book. And when I came back, I couldn't remember what it was, but I know now it was probably what I had to come back and do before I could return. Because he said, now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And it was like, no, I was not going to go willingly. He just kind of smiled and shook his head. And I woke up in the ICU unit and there's my family around me. I, I think they're my family. I'm really not sure. My poor mind is full of drugs. And I'm back. And I just remember being in heaven just a little while ago and how I had too much to do. But how could I do that? Are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks. And if you want a free bird zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Right now, I was down to 86 pounds. I had no muscle mass. I couldn't breathe on my own. I couldn't move. I could blink and move one finger. And I was thinking, how cruel was that? You've got too much left to do and you can't even breathe on your own. I really feel for the COVID people and their families because just because you survive three weeks in a coma doesn't mean your work is over. They uh, sent me to a rehabilitation hospital for physical therapy. I had to learn how to do everything again. My muscle mass had evaporated, so I didn't know how to crawl, swallow, tie a shoe, walk, go up steps, nothing. I had to learn all of that all over again, just like a baby. And it took a month before I was able to walk to make my bed. They wouldn't let me go home unless I could do a few basic survival skills. But I did get home and I had been dating this nice man that stood by my side unknowingly during the whole coma. We got married 
and I tried to get back into my life. However, I was rather depressed about my financial situation. I quit my job and and sold my business to come help my friend. And now all that was gone. I had no home. I was 53 years old. I had just married somebody that I'd only known for about eight months. And I was supposed to be doing all this work so I could go home to heaven. It was not good. However, the real estate instinct in me kicked back in. My husband and I said, let's get a home. We need a home. We bought a, a cheap home, lived in that for a while. Then I had an inheritance. I bought another home. We rented out the first home and we started buying rentals. Up in Washington, the the real estate was practically free after living in California. So you could buy a rental, put the minimum amount down and the, the rent that came in covered the expenses almost. So we started gradually building that back up. I read everything I could get my hands on for the new things that were coming in. I found Lending Club. That was an organization I saw on 60 Minutes where you lend money to other people through this company and they can skip the bank fees and all of that stuff. And then they give you back a decent percentage of interest. So you're helping people with your money. I liked the idea of that. I started doing that when they opened. I can't remember how many years ago now, seven or something, but I've gotten a steady six and a half percent and I, and I pick my own people that I want to lend to that tells you who they are, what they do for a living, why they want the money, gives you a credit report. Anyway, you, it's a hands-on kind of thing. And you feel like you're helping people. I like that. I liked also after coming back from this near-death experience, this incredible feeling of needing to help people in worse situations than myself became almost overwhelming. I got great joy from giving money to homeless people, people standing on the corner that with a sign. Give me, I, I just got such a sense of money helping people, not only just helping myself. So that, that became very ingrained in me. Like you had empathy, the NDE gave you empathy to see it from those people, the needy person's eyes, or was it more, hey, I'm wanting to be on on earth for a little bit more, what was this money? What else could this money be going for? It was so interesting being dead because you didn't have anything physical. You had you. There was that whole thing of you can't take it with you became abundantly clear. I had no jewelry on. Nothing was there except my soul and what I did on earth that I brought with me, which was the good that I did, I brought with me. So when I saw people, I got, I had this thing after being in a wheelchair for quite a while, I had this thing about being invisible when I was in a wheelchair. It was an awful feeling. So when I got out and I would see somebody, particularly homeless people in a wheelchair, I would go out of my way to look in their eyes and say hi and just get the shock on their face. Oh, dude, I'm not invisible anymore. Same thing. That sounds like it's like you had that higher level of empathy or you were aware a lot more aware of other people's. You just sense that we're all one. We're all pieces of God. One person is not any more valuable than another. What you have is not as important as what you do. And that's what really brings you joy. It just seems to me that money is a wonderful thing. And it's because you can use it to do things. Just to hoard it or just only for myself just brings a hunger for more. That's what I found. I still love my real estate. I love what it can do for people. I have a real empathy for 
Homeless, my book. I didn't get into it to make money. I know I was sent back to write it. The book is more than just that one little three or four chapters about hell. It's about my whole life and my family's lives going way back a couple of generations up till now and how we all struggle with things and we have to help one another. And I don't know, I I just feel like the homeless are the people that need the most help. So I'm an advocate that direction. Any money I make, half of it goes here in Tacoma. And I've already given them a lot more than I'll probably ever make. But it's, it's always worth it. You just go downtown sometimes and drive around and see the people sitting around on the corner, particularly up here when it gets cold in the winter, with nothing. It, if it doesn't move you, probably something you should think about. But yes, we all have to provide for ourselves and our family. But there's that need to also share. And that's what we usually teach our children when they're small, share, but we, we can't lose that lesson. So what this is called, guys, is an NDE near-death experience. It's like an epiphany moment. Very, I don't know what you would call, like a lot of you guys who I talk to has some kind of experience at work where you get fired or you get passed up for a job or you go to someone's retirement party and they have crappy Chinese needles to wish somebody off for 50 years of hard work and dedication. Mm-hmm. And similar, it's a turning point in your life that you see another perspective and it takes you down another path. But because Kathy, you're in this realm of NDEs. Do you see any, how other people react to it? Have you seen any other perspectives that you've seen from other people's NDEs that you've spoken to as you shared your experience? It's very lonely when you get back from a near-death experience because most people don't believe you. They don't have any understanding. The only ones would be sometimes emergency personnel who've seen this before. They'll believe you, but your family doesn't want to hear about it. They tell you it's It was the drugs, didn't really happen, it was a dream. But this is a life-altering experience. This is something that doesn't go away and it changes you forever. And it took me about 10 years to get up to IONS, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies in Seattle, to where I found an organization of hundreds and thousands of people all over this world that have had NDEs. And to go to their annual conferences and and the monthly meetings and and just be surrounded by people who have had this experience and who are also changed and are living in the world and they love living in the world, but they can't wait to get home. That's what changes you. You lose all fear. Nothing really can throw you off the rails much anymore, whether it's politics or money or whatever. It's all going to be okay. This life is really just a play. And I've learned from other people, we choose to come down here and be who we are and learn the lessons we want to learn. And God isn't picking on us. It's something we've chosen. So I can give up victimhood. I can stop saying that person was mean to me if they hadn't done this. I picked every single thing that happened in my life. And so something weird happens that I don't like. I say, wow, wonder what the lesson was there. But I look forward to going home and being in heaven. That's just indescribably great. But while I'm here, I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to do what I think I've been sent down to do and just give people hope and give people a little hint that it matters what you do here. Most people up there get a life review. God's not up there with a book saying, okay, you did this, you did that. God does not judge us. We get a life review, and it's not even a matter of judging ourselves. We just get to see 
what our actions did to every single person we ever came into contact with our whole lives and to feel how they felt when we interacted. So when we're interacting with people in a loving and kind way, we'll be able to feel that. If we're being mean and stingy and hurtful, we'll be able to feel that too. It can't help but change you having that realization, having that happen to you. Yeah, I'll say like in our community, I've now doing this podcast since 2016, hundreds of thousands of people I've come into contact. I still do free intro onboarding calls to new folks who join, who join the club at simplepassacashflow.com slash club. But I see so many different financial profiles. And more importantly, I see the similarities with the people who are going to reach financial independence and happiness and those who don't. And the guys who don't, they have this what's in it for me type of mentality. They'll come into the free, I have a free Facebook group, which is a kind of a, a neat way so I can filter people into the community. These are the guys who's intermittently coming into the group and asking some random, oh, does anybody have a referral for this? Does anybody for this? Everything's me. They're so chingy with their money, like you said, right? They're, and I get it. I was the same way. And that's why I, it, I pick it up so quickly because I was that same way. It's the people who, from what, some of my mentors that spend money freely, especially on like expanding the business or going on a trip um, to go visit a property, I see the stark contrast between somebody who doesn't want to spend $50 on some kind of ebook to learn or, and they continuously go to these free resources. CFEs is what I call cheap, easy, free. And it's funny because they don't realize what they're doing. And everybody else who's in the inner circle who has that more abundance mindset, they can point these people out super easily and they distance themselves from those individuals. And unfortunately, these individuals never know. But um, I'm saying this because maybe take a self-awareness check of yourself. Are you somebody who, when money stops at you, do you hoard money like Scrooge McDuck? It's okay to like to see the, the numbers rack up in the bank account. I love doing that. That's one of the fun things I like to do in the week is check my bank account. I'm not going to yeah. lie. But are yeah. you somebody who it's hard to give away, especially to other people or to do you spend money on education or meeting other people to expand your network to expand your net worth or do you hold it back for that next investment but don't want to get too preachy here but i'm just saying hey us in the inner circle we see these stark contrasts and these people never get to because they have that type i, I agree with you and not everybody has to go through and NDE, near-death experience, to see that the other side, hopefully this worked for a lot of you guys. Maybe next time we'll do our wash the cuss ceremony. Just kidding. <laughs> but sometimes that's what people need, right? Some people are so like, they're so stuck. Serious. You know? They get too serious. You got to lighten up. And the, the last thing I'll end with, and this kind of goes in with our retreat that we do every year and the communities that we try and foster is at the end of the day, y'all are going to be financially independent in likely five to 10 years. If you invest in the right stuff, you, know, you get on the simple passive cash flow gravy train, you get the passive losses, you, you pay less taxes. It's math. You're going to be financially free five to 10 times faster than most people. The currency of the rich is relationships. I see it on Facebook all the time. Somebody posts something and nobody cares. Because that person is just one of those CFE guys, cheap, easy, free. They offer no value to their people around them. Who are the cool people 
in high school, the cool people other than the cheerleaders and football players, blah, 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 are the people who added value to other people. And that is ultimately when you're older and you have the money, you're going to wish you had that. But uh, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? No, just for fun, you can go to Amazon and buy Misfit and Hell to Have an Expat. It uh, has got a lot of humor in it. And I think a lot of people resonate with the type of families that I grew up with. And the bottom line is just to be loving and kind. So we are not advocating going and uh, engineering your own near-death experience. There is no NDE in a bottle at this point. So the best we have Um, is to learn from others. That's right. That's right. You'll learn soon enough. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Kathy, and everybody else. Maybe check out the networking section on the website. So search networking, and there's a networking guide that you can download. But I think the takeaway here is uh, build your network to build your net worth. And at the end of the day, it's all about social capital. Thanks. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.